Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you, albeit online, which is not what I was expecting, but there we go. So our theme tonight is maximising identity. In other words, how we live more fully in who God has designed us to be. So let's just pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our inheritance in you. We want to thank you, Lord, for the extraordinary identity that we have when we become Christians when when we're born again and Lord I want to pray that tonight as we delve into your word and into your truth that you would speak to our hearts Lord we pray Lord that that we would be transformed we pray Lord for fresh revelation we pray Lord that you would make us both hungry and teachable and we just look to you Lord speak to us now we pray in Jesus name amen um, just to warn you I could probably speak for hours on this because this is a subject I am just extremely passionate about. So I want to start by talking about what we mean by identity and um, as I was looking up some definitions this week I discovered that some psychologists define identity as who we experience ourselves to be and to me that's a problem straight off. So often we do feel pressured to define ourselves through our jobs or our financial status or our successes and our failures, our grades if we're students, how we look, what other people say about us, all sorts of things can define our identity. But if our identity is based on measures like these, then the very foundation of our identity is shaken and altered when we experience any kind of trauma or failure. Or just imagine if, if we derive identity from our job, what happens if we lose our job? What happens if someone we like clearly dislikes us? The problem comes when it, if our identity comes from external things, when our circumstances change, then our identity constantly changes too. But the world that we live in overwhelmingly tells us to define ourselves by external measures. No wonder so many people struggle with deep insecurities about themselves if their identity is rooted in sinking sand. I just recently read an article by Joyce Mayer in which she shared how her identity was for years shaped by her experiences in her early life. She'd experienced abuse at the hands of a close family member in her teens, which just left her permanently miserable and with a, a very messed up self-image and a constant sense of being condemned and with zero self-worth. But even if we had a great childhood, if our identity doesn't come from being deeply loved by God and grounded in him, we'll still struggle. That's why seeking God's revelation about our original design is so powerful. If you haven't done so for a while, go back and revisit your original design. Who does God say you are? If you've never had original design prayer, come for some. No matter what circumstances we face, who God says we are doesn't change. And that's why we really need to know it, to inhabit it. I remember once praying for a lady, this is quite a few years ago, and I'd never met her before, and we were asking the Lord for his revelation about how he had designed her. And God gave me a really clear image of the percussion band Stomp. 
If you've never heard of them, they play things like dustbin lids and broom handles. They're amazing. And when this picture came of Stomp, I was really reluctant to share the image with the person because that to me, it didn't feel like original design. I couldn't interpret it. I couldn't explain it. And I just thought that's a bit weird. But I did, I did share it. And do you know, the lady was just completely blown away. She was a music teacher. She just started doing a project looking at Stomp with one of her classes of students. And the fact that God knew that, the fact that he spoke to her about it through someone she'd never met before, spoke so deeply to her about just how intimately God knew her and cared for her and loved her, that the rest of the original design we shared with her impacted her far more deeply and profoundly. And it massively impacted us as a prayer team too. It was a really beautiful thing. I've given testimony to this before, but for the first two decades, really, of my Christian life, I didn't really get who I was, and that was partly because no one told me. That that might sound a bit daft, but because I didn't know or understand my true identity as a child of God, I didn't understand how to live in the fullness of that identity. And therefore, I didn't understand my authority or how to live in the victory and the fullness and the freedom that is promised in scripture. And so for me, my whole life was utterly transformed when I started to get this stuff, as you know, which is why I get so fired up about Christians needing to know who they really are. I see too many Christians who go through life without much clue about who they are, not just in terms of how God designed them personally to be, not just in terms of their own original design, but also not understanding what changed when they were born again, which is absolutely heartbreaking. There are so many passages in scripture that talk about our fundamental identity as children of God. One of the most amazing is Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3, which I'm just going to read now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times would have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, grace lavished, and we are unconditionally loved and accepted. We are pure, blameless, forgiven. We've received the hope of spending eternity with God. Because we are in Christ, these aspects of our identity can never, ever be altered by what we do. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is such a powerful and black and white statement. Knowing our true identity is fundamentally life-changing. From the moment we were born again, we became new creations. To live and to reveal the life and the power and the presence of Jesus in the here and now. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8 as well. Romans chapter 8, this is verse 28 to 31. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is amazing, isn't it? What, Jesus, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the prototype of humanity restored. Or, if you like, humanity as we were designed to be. A prototype, in manufacturing terms, becomes the blueprint for mass production when it's perfected. So what this passage is saying is that God loves us so much that that's what he's done for us. Jesus is what restored humanity looks like if we allow him sovereignty in our lives. If we go on to verse 37 in Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is how secure we actually are. A very wise friend once said to me, you are always who God says you are and you live it when you believe him. You see, Jesus is an example of us, not just for us. If he was just an example for us, I think we'd all go around saying, I wish I was like that. If only I could be like that with no hope of actually getting there. And that would mean that we would end up striving, trying to live like him. But the reality is because Christ is in us, by grace he flows through us and out of us. He has already made us like Jesus. That's a very different place to be. He's already done it. So the implications of this are enormous. 
I've just listed a few. There are, there are many, many more, but this is the kind of stuff that is true of us. Because we are in Christ, we can be confident. Because we are in Christ and because of what he's done, we can walk in authority. We are supernatural. We can change atmospheres. And this is beautiful. We can be fully ourselves. That's so important. We will be people of faith. We can know his peace. We will be secure enough to make mistakes. And we will bring transformation to the earth. We are absolutely designed to be world changers. It sounds a bit corny, but it's the truth of who we are in Christ. And the Bible says we are counted God's friends. That's our identity. We're God's friends. I remember the first time I ever heard the song, I am a friend of God. don't know if you know it. Beautiful song. And the more I thought about it, the more profound those really simple words became. We often describe the Lord as our friend. But to hear him say to me, you're my friend, is mind-blowing. God's desire and his will is for me to enjoy being me, being fully me. For you to enjoy being you. The fact is that divine favour rests on the life of every Christian. We walk in divine favour every single day. God's will is to work through us supernaturally wherever we are. Not just in church life, but at work, at home, everywhere we go, every single day. That's the reality of our identity in Christ. Even though I know that everything I'm saying is true, it is still a fact that I can and I do see myself as less than I really am. And I know we all have times when we do. And this is the challenge, isn't it? We, we easily allow ourselves to be shut down by lies and unbelief about our true nature and our true identity as God's sons and daughters. We can be very good at beating ourselves up and striving to be good enough to be used by God. We kind of have this, this belief that we need to be more holy before we can be sure that God can really use us. And that's because the enemy deceives us into believing for so much less than God actually wants for us. I think sometimes we, we even self-justify our failure. We make excuse after excuse and we keep our expectations low to ensure that we don't feel disappointed. And we can consciously walk in self-condemnation sometimes because ironically somehow beating ourselves up can make us feel better. And we spend so much time believing the lie that God is disappointed in us. In other words, we live out of our strongholds rather than out of this mind-blowing God-given identity. And I know we all know this, but we need to remember that the enemy is the great accuser. And the strength of his accusation coming against us is colossal. I think sometimes he even tells us that if we're successful in any way, we'll become arrogant and proud and self-sufficient. And so we even come to believe that all success is worldly, even in ministry. How often do we squirm when people say, that was great, wow, you were amazing. And we find that difficult. 
but that's not humility that's self-focus i i probably sound like a broken record but humility is agreeing with god and he says that we are awesome i really believe that god wants us to excel in exactly the same way that those of us who are parents long for our children to do well in their lives how how many parents want their children to live mediocre lives not really being successful whether that's at school or at work or in their relationships it upsets me massively if one of my kids speaks negatively about themselves i really don't like it i want all of them to grow in confidence of the possibilities before them and you know what one way we do that is to model it and so it is with god in him all things are possible so why do we self-defeat why do we self-condemn and self-curse because it grieves god's heart i think we need to rid ourselves of the idea that god is all about improving us i'm just going to read luke 17 20 to 21 it says once having been asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god would come jesus replied the kingdom of god does not come with your careful observation nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of god is within you that's profound we are supernatural beings with access into the supernatural realm we really are the ones who are the agents of change in this world we are the ones who are salt and light and as we go about living our daily lives we will infiltrate god's kingdom into society wherever we are because we're supernatural beings we can't help it god empowers us to bring transformation as we participate with him in his kingdom i've already said it his favor rests on us not for our own benefit but for but for kingdom purposes he has already made us holy and that means we are empowered to change the world we've just read from romans 8 that we are more than conquerors living living the christian life is supposed to be fun we've been given the most glorious gift of being able to be truly ourselves and we can only do that when we know who we are because of our unique god-given identity there is no pressure to perform or conform or to be like someone else i can only be a good me you can only be a good you if in our, our unbelief and our insignificance we try to be like someone else we're trying to lose our uniqueness and actually that's an affront to god's creativity neither is it a case of less of me and more of you lord it is christ in us the beautiful thing is that jesus manifests himself in the midst of our personality our very uniqueness is part of his glory i love that all we have to do is to be fully us no more god god acting is nothing to do with the perfection of our prayers or our human efforts we are conduits for the holy spirit simply by being who we're made to be and god works through us 
in all circumstances. Stuff can happen through us, even when we, we possibly do the wrong thing or what looks like the wrong thing. And so our confidence doesn't come from our own ability. Our confidence comes from knowing that God will speak and act through us, despite our shortcomings. That is so releasing, that's so freeing. And God works and acts through us way beyond our ability to understand that. That is the beautiful nature of God and of his love for us. We are supernatural whether we feel it or not. <laughs> God speaks to us when we pray for people through prophetic revelation. That's being supernatural. God heals through us, sometimes very gently and very quietly. That's supernatural. I think we often misunderstand the word supernatural. It doesn't mean that things have to be spectacular. And we mustn't confuse the two. We mustn't confuse supernatural and spectacular. If we're just looking for the spectacular, then the probability is that we'll miss the supernatural right in front of our eyes. If we're waiting for some thunderous voice from heaven, we can so easily miss the quiet voice of the Lord as he speaks to us even through our own thoughts. So maximising our identity, I believe, is about breaking the old habits of living the way we've lived in the past and being controlled by our attitudes. It's very easy to be controlled by what used to be normal, more so than by kingdom. You and I have absolute dynamite power within us. If we wake up feeling low or empty, or if we wake up disliking ourselves, do we give in? Or do we engage our spirit nature and begin to walk in the truth? The challenge, I think, for us is that we need to be deliberately conscious of who we are and what we carry. That we're fully loaded, we're fully equipped, we have everything we need. And that comes from knowing what's in the word, what's in the scriptures. It's so important that we believe it. We will be fully who we are when we believe it. It sounds obvious, but I think it can be very challenging when there's so-called evidence to the contrary. What do I mean by that? I think one of the best examples of that is Abraham. In the natural, he was old. And there was evidence, if you like, that he and Sarah were too old to have children. But we know that Abraham took hold of God's promise and he believed it and it was fulfilled. Put very simply, God's promises are always more powerful than natural realm circumstances. Always. So far, I've really talked about this from uh, the point of view of us being individuals, but but what applies to us as individuals also applies to us as one body. We're called to be part of a kingdom community entirely distinctive from the world around us. This is, this is quite a famous quote that you've probably heard before. A guy called Archbishop William Temple famously once said this. He said, the Christian church is the only society in the world that exists for the benefit of those who are non-members. That's really challenging. Why are we here, really? Why are we here? Or in other words, what is our goal? What is, 
What is it that we're pressing towards? What gets us up in the morning? Is it your is it our plans for the day? Or is it pleasing God? Do we do church? Do we seek God to make us happier, to improve our lives, to become more moral, to get our needs met, to be prayed for? Or do we, we engage with God and with his body because we know that we're citizens of heaven? I am God's precious daughter, called along with all my brothers and sisters to have a profound impact on extending the kingdom of God so that where we live and work becomes a little bit more like heaven. It sounds, it sounds extraordinary, but that's the truth. We are called to exercise our spiritual authority and our identity to see healings, to see miracles, to see restoration, restoration of health, restoration of relationship on a daily basis. A, a couple of years ago, I heard about a church in Africa where, and this blew my mind, where young people are being taught when not to raise the dead, to know when someone is old enough to let them go. I mean, it, it just blows me away. If we are going to see transformation, we need to recognise where we get sucked into worldly thinking, because we all do. It's a, I think it's a huge problem in our culture because we are very comfortable and therefore we sort of come to expect comfort. We are so blessed to have such a high standard of living compared to the rest of the world. But it's also a very dangerous thing because it stops us being the radical disciples Jesus designed us to be. The enemy is constantly at work to conform us to the patterns of this world. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. We live in a society that is effectively a consumer society that puts me at the centre. When something goes wrong, there's always someone else to blame. It means that my life becomes all about how to be content. And that massively dulls our hunger for God. It dulls our need to be challenged and our heart for the lost. None of us have an original design to, to live a better life, either individually or corporately. We are designed to minister in the power of the Spirit boldly to see Jesus at work all around us all of the time. I think the absolutely worst tragedy would be to get to the end of our lives and realise we've not lived according to our true identity. That we've not enjoyed the extraordinary joys and riches and blessings and favour of being a child of God, but that we've lived in spiritual poverty. That's why I get so fired up about this stuff. I genuinely, I can't bear it when I see people get so caught up in religion and striving and human effort that there's no joy or excitement or fulfilment. It's not complicated, but it does take commitment. We will never become something we don't believe we are. 100% I believe that God wants living according to our true identity to be one of our most fundamental goals. When we agree with who God says we are, I promise you, life will never be dull. <laughs>